We just read out of Romans chapter 5. And of all things, when you read through uh, the New Testament scriptures, there's a lot of passages that are very similar, if not in wording, in the message of what's being said, especially when there is a doctrine that is there with regard to who man is before his God and, and the way you are justified before God. And, and if you were to look at the book of Romans, what we have is this whole concept of justification. And through that, we see um, in the first chapter what what man is like with or without God, and thus the need for the gospel. And that's what verse 17 is about, right, in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. And you go on in chapters 2 and 3, and we get to see this detailed uh, layout of man, all men, being guilty of sin. And in chapter 4, we see the contrast to sin is that of righteousness through faith. And when you get into chapter 5, that righteousness comes by way of the gift, by grace, if you will. And therein lies this gospel message. And if you go on chapter 6 following, we get to see the result of this justification by grace through faith. And in so doing, living righteously. Well, the reason why I chose this particular sermon is because we have just begun a study in the auditorium class in the book of Genesis. And what we're doing over the next 13 weeks is seeing the gospel message through the book of Genesis. Now, we're not going to do it like we did, uh, what, a year, two, or three ago, whenever it was, when I was asked to teach Genesis, but from a standpoint of the shadows only. We're going to be looking at the book of Genesis for what it's um, showing us, but with the picture in mind, looking toward the cross, reflecting on ourselves in the meantime. And so, in Romans chapter 5, there is a reference back to the beginning it was read for us by Dave. And I'm going to look through these verses and note some of these things as we go through the text because it's very important as we, as we go along these lessons to see how the Old Testament scripture fits into a New Testament child of God. So when you look at the book of Genesis, it's not just this book of beginning. This is, I think, um, Vince is bringing that part out, you know, the name of the word Genesis. It is a book of beginnings, beginning of creation, you know, the beginning of, of man specifically and his relationship to God, the beginning of sin, if you will, the beginning of redemption. So all these beginnings that we could read of in the book of Genesis, un undoubtedly a great and appropriate title for it. But the book is about God's, if you will, unfolding his love for his own creation. Ben was bringing up in the Bible class this morning, you know, is this really about Jesus Christ or is it about us, mankind? And you just can't have one without the other, it seems to me. But that said, it is about God's relationship with mankind, how man has fallen and then he's being redeemed um, through sacrifice and ultimately through Christ's sacrifice. But what you also see then with that is God's desire to save an unrighteous man, Right? We all stand before God without the blood of Jesus as unrighteous, as sinners, and therefore not justified. But through his own gift of righteousness, as we are going to read in the text here again, we're seeing that that gift was giving us the means to be righteous. In other words, he makes us righteous through Jesus Christ, and then we'll see the, the consequences of that truth. So with that in mind, I want us to note some things between Adam and Jesus because 
Adam is used as a shadow, as some of your translations would say, as a antitype or type to the antitype. And so what you have in this text is this correlation between Jesus and Adam. I want to read that again, even though it's uh, redundant. I want to read it for the sake of, of your mind emphasizing this correlation between Adam and Jesus. So go ahead and read it with me again. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, that is Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law was in the world, or excuse me, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded more much more and so oh excuse me so that as sin reigned in death even so grace must reign through righteousness to eternal life through jesus christ our lord there were words i was trying to emphasize while looking at this contrast and parallel between adam and jesus and if you notice what we have through adam is death through sin and if we go on and read the scriptures, we can read and, and go back to the Old Testament scriptures, go back to Genesis, and we can read of when that sin had taken place. And the thing is that through Adam, sin explicitly through scriptures, it says, entered the world. In other words, before this disobedient act, everything is perfect. No sin. I have no idea what that looks like in life. The closest we get is when we as, as family members within your own households, among brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe for the briefest of moments with people in this world, we might have just these real small moments where everyone behaves just as ought. And it's beautiful. Everyone gets along. There's no jealousy. There's no anger, no hatred. No lies, no deceit. We see what that looks like. And so we have these glimpses. 
This is what life was like for however long, however short life was like in the garden. Satan comes along and he tempts man. And of course, we get to read that story in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, particularly in verses 1 following of chapter 3, where we see um, the temptation of Adam and Eve. But until then, there's no sin. But once sin took place, and even the warning that when you partake of this fruit that I'm commanding you not to eat, then comes judgment. And so if you go on to Genesis chapter 3, I think around verse 14 following, you can see, you know, when, when God says to the man and woman in just previous verses, weren't you not supposed to eat that fruit? Right, Adam? And Adam points to his wife. First thing he does, points his finger, past the buck. God turns to the wife, to the woman, and what does she do? She points the finger then to Satan. And of course, they're condemned. God goes through the judgment of the woman, of the man, of Satan himself. But judgment arose from that one transgression, and it resulted in condemnation. And that condemnation we see in the garden where they were kicked out, so to speak, of the garden. It's very similar to the condemnation that when the law had been made and you were denounced as unclean, not from a sin standpoint, necessarily from a moral sinful standpoint, but a ceremonial sinful standpoint, you were outside the congregation when you're unclean, outside the boundary, if you will. You're in the wilderness, so to speak. Well, that's the concept of, of condemnation. And all these themes are running in the book of Genesis that we're seeing played out in the New Testament. And so death spread to all men because, naturally, as was said in Scripture, all sin. Well, look at this contrast. We're told in Romans 5, verse 15 again, the free gift is not like the offense. This free gift is very different. The offense, and through the offense, many died. In fact, the Scriptures, if you want to just be generic, Everyone dies <laughs> because everyone has sinned. If you want to get technical, we can talk about those that did not specifically die, that God had taken, like Enoch, if you will, or you can read of um, the one who's taken up on the chariot. And so we get that. But the point is not this right here. That's just a truth. One, through one man's offense, many died. The important part that is being focused on, and it is a theme in Romans chapter 5, is this concept of what is much more. And that is the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, which was abounded to many. And so through Jesus Christ comes this gift, this almost redundantly uh, statement, free gift. It's almost like a gift is free in and of itself, otherwise it's not a gift. But this is a free gift. So when you look at this contrast, here's what we see. With this free gift comes justification through the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you just go through the text here and, and read through um, Romans chapter 5, we get to see this very concept uh, all throughout Scripture. Um, if you look at verse, verse 2, of course, verse 2 is not dealing with the blood in and of itself. But he says in verse 1, Having been justified by faith with peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand or in which we are justified. 
and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He goes on further speaking of the blood of Christ of by which we have this justification. He continues on. He says we are reconciled as a result of being justified. Because we can stand before God through his blood, we're now brought near to him again. We no longer are enemies. We no longer stand condemned, but stand upright because we've been justified through the blood of Jesus. And similar fashion, he goes on to say in verse 16 then that grace is greater than transgression and justification is greater than condemnation. So if it is so awful and sin is exceedingly sinful, how much greater is the grace of God? How much greater is the free gift than the wages of sin? And that's the point that he's making, that it is greater, explicitly so. How much greater than his life over death? I've heard it mentioned when it comes to questioning God, why does God allow for evil and similar statements? Why would God, knowing that we would sin against him, ever create us? Have you ever thought the same thing? Like if he just never created us, we wouldn't be condemned. Because we wouldn't be. But don't you focus on this. Life is so much greater. I don't know how to explain it in words. And of course, this is a contrast between life and death. But God made us for a reason. That we would have life. And that we would have it abundantly. That we would have it with him. He made us for that purpose. And how great, the things that Brad was saying this morning, how you go from, and this is what you're saying, reminds me of me. Like when I became a Christian, the reason for becoming a Christian is because I didn't want to go to hell. That was the reason. Not because I wanted to go to heaven. I knew nothing of hell or heaven. I just knew the word hell meant bad place. The word heaven meant good place. That's all I knew when I became a Christian. Had nothing to do with having fellowship with God. Had everything to do with Mitch Davis and not being in a place that I'd be condemned for eternity. But as I grew in him, then my selfishness took over from a different vantage point. I wanted to be in heaven. It still wasn't about God and my fellowship with him. It was just that I don't get to not only be in hell, but I get to be in this place called heaven. And it came with this worldly thought of whatever heaven was like. And it started out with the way the world was teaching me about heaven. And so just imagine your immoral commercials about heaven. That's my mindset as a young baby in Christ. Even after I began preaching, I still did not have this concept of just wanting to please God and have fellowship with him, walking with him, doing things that bring him joy and happiness. It's the very concept that I desire in all of our children. I mean, from when Malia was born, now to McKenna. It's not enough for me as a father to be satisfied saying they've done what I wanted them to do. I mean, it, it brings me no pleasure that they're doing it with a frown on their face, with anger in their heart, with resentment. What brings me great joy is when they do it, and they do it not of fear that I'm going to punish them, which I've been known, <laughs> And even not so much as the wages, like their allowance. But when they just do it because 
mom, dad, I love you. And this is a blessing. That brings me the greatest joy. And in the same way as walking with our God, it's this very concept of life, true life, that is aboundingly greater, of course better, but greater than death. In other words, there's no comparison. There's no equal. I mean, from a technical side, we can talk about this equal, but if you want to weigh things out, life is so much greater in this. Condemnation so much less than justification. That's the point of what Paul is saying here when he says, how much more now? Much more. There's just no equal distribution of weight. And so we look at that verse in verse 17 and understand this this concept of justification. In other words, when I talk about being justified, you're able to stand in in a court setting before the judge and you are standing as one who is innocent. But it's not because you're free of guilt. You are guilty of sin. But Jesus Christ and his blood, his sacrifice, his death on the cross, if you will, is what allows you to stand as righteous before God. Therein lies the gift. So read verse 17 with me. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Remember we were talking about earlier, um, I was reading out of Ephesians, I mean Ephesians, Romans chapter 5, that we are justified by faith, he says. And having been justified by faith, we have access by faith through grace to him. Verse 2 of Romans 5. Well, here he is referring to this righteousness, the ability to stand before God as a gift. Now, for some of us in this room, that may throw your theology off. Because there are enough brethren that still have the mindset that while we, with our lips, will say it is a gift, salvation is a gift, by the way we speak about certain actions, certain things, It's as if we will still earn salvation. Just listen to your conversations. Listen carefully. Sometimes you'll hear it. This concept of righteousness is given freely by those who believe in and call upon and give their lives to Jesus Christ. That's the point of this. But it's given. Because it's given, we're able to reign in this life. In fact, we're able to reign eternally with Christ. The book of Ephesians makes it abundantly clear. We reign um, as fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. But it's through Jesus Christ that we are righteous. So what does all this mean? I want you to think about this because it's... Sometimes the concept and of, of this earning of salvation that comes into play, we go to a place like Romans chapter 6, and we refer to the fact that, you know, as many of us as have been baptized into Christ, were buried with him through his death, right? That's what verses 1 through 4 of Romans chapter 6 is saying. In fact, he goes on to say, because we've been righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it, that righteousness came by God's grace, that we don't take that grace in vain. 
That's the message. Some people like to take this one point and go with it and go to this other extreme. And that's why the Apostle Paul had to deal with the fact that there are those who are saying, well, if it's by grace and grace is abounding through sin, well, guess what? If I sin more, I get more grace. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is because we've been made righteous through the gift, through Jesus Christ, that gift of salvation that makes us righteous, that makes us justified to stand before God, here's how we ought to walk. Walk as one who has been made righteous. Walk as one who's been made holy. So that's why we have passages that says, be holy for I'm holy. Our lives ought not to be that we come here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or whenever we come here for meetings and what have you to think on good things, to praise God, and then we go back and live a worldly lifestyle. Our lives are lives of thanksgiving because of a gift that has been given that makes us righteous, that makes us holy through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. In other words, we ought to walk as those crucified with Christ. Remember in verses 1 through 4 of Romans 6, he said that as many of you are baptized, baptized into his death, that's that picture of baptism. You go down and you bury that old man of sin. You crucify that man of sin. You come up out of that watery grave and it's reflective of a new life that you have in Jesus Christ. One that is now righteous. One made holy. And so... We should be living as or walking as one who's crucified with him in order, verse 6 of Romans 6, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, because of this circular reasoning, some would say, but you know, Mitch, I was baptized and I still sin. I still struggle with the same sin. So I'm not being righteous? That's where Romans 7 comes into play, brethren. The ones that love God, want to do his will. And Jimmy likes to bring that part up over and over so that with my body I might serve sin, but with my mind I serve the law of God. Right? Romans 7, verses 24 and 25. And that's why he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that I would do that. Your mind, your heart, the direction of your life, the intent of your, your life is to give God glory by walking with him, being like him, molded in his image, transformed by the renewing of your mind to his praise and honor. That's the point. Now, bring that back to every sermon I've ever preached. And every sermon that I've preached should be a reflection that you live righteously, that you live a holy lifestyle. There's no justification for fleshly living. Everything we do is to glorify and honor God. That's the way we ought to live. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that. Colossians 3 verse 17 tells us similarly. Right? Whatever you do in word or deed, or in all things that you do, do unto the glory of God. Those two passages make that very clear. That's what we're saying here, that everything we do... My, might be such where we are crucifying that old man of sin and walking to the glory of our God. So use our bodies then 
as instruments because of the gift of righteousness, use our bodies as instruments of righteousness. That's what he's saying. Chapter 5, verse 17, the gift of righteousness, that is the blood of Jesus Christ took place that gives us the ability to stand before God. Now, use our lives then as instruments of righteousness as a result. That's the point. My question to you is, are you? you know, are you using your lives as instruments of righteousness? One of the great opportunities, in fact, I remember soon after moving to Franklin, I don't know, if, I don't know what Phil had in mind specifically, but I knew generally what he had in mind when he would say, now, get out in the community and like, join some organizations and what have you, and I went with him to the Lions Club on one, one or two occasions and, and what have you. Eh, not me. Toastmasters? No, not for me. <laughs> but I love being out in the community. And one of the greatest opportunities in sharing the gospel has taken place I got with guys that are full of tattoos. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Martial arts. <laughs> and you'd be surprised the wonderful conversations. In fact, in one opportunity last week, or however long when it, the tournament took place, I asked this one person who was going to compete, can I do anything to help them in preparation for, for their, their match? And the person said, pray for me. And so right then and there, we're able to pray. And through conversations like that, whether it's there or here in, in Tennessee, that I get opportunities to talk to Young men, older men, some young women, older women, that talk to them about the Lord. I love that. Get to talk to Corey. <laughs> Have great conversations with him. Whatever the avenue of life, though, is if you are living a life of righteousness because of the gift of righteousness, brethren, you can share the gospel and, and lead those others to the gift that God is going to give to them or can give to them. If they would heed him, call upon his name. That's the purpose of living righteously. So that you can walk worthy of the calling and bring souls with you by your godly influence, by your shining light, so that they would give glory to God. Not a difficult sermon. Not a difficult lesson to learn. But live it out. I encourage you to do so right now as together we stand and sing.